Chapter 16, The Library The morning after the coronation, Beth and Tatiana make their way to the palace lobby in their old armor while the rest of the group waits patiently. Reuben catches himself staring at Beth as the two girls saunter on down the stairs side by side. He can't help thinking of how beautiful she looked and how he should have danced with her that night before. Tatiana glares back at Reuben as he looks away, providing an awkward start to the day as the three humans refrain from acting as themselves. I have good news. Queen Kalkia has given us permission to utilize the capital's library, Fadar offers, trying to lighten the deafening mood. It's about time. We've been here a full week already, Tatiana expresses with distaste. I don't know about everyone else here, but I'd rather be preparing for the oncoming war than reading books that may not even be relevant. I wholeheartedly disagree, but the sooner we start, the better, Jantis adds, cracking his knuckles. So where is this library? Than asks. It's the biggest building in Cortesh. How did you miss it on our way in? Jantis questions. Regardless, the queen has given us directions, Fadar interrupts, rolling up the scroll of entrance that would allow them to visit the library. The land of Kelsic holds knowledge so close to their hearts that only one library exists within its borders. This singular building is over five stories tall, with each story being 20 feet in height. The width and length of the building are doubled in size, with 250 feet on every side of the base. Tall flowing waterfalls pour off the white marble walls of the building in the four cardinal directions. From these falls, canals flow in every direction, making their way throughout the capital. Atop the library sit four golden moose, with the tops of the waterfall forming off their wide antlers. Eight massive columns line the only entrance to the building, while dark green shrubbery flourishes from the natural spring the building was built upon. Entering the Grand Library, all six gasp in overwhelming amazement at the sheer volume of books and scrolls contained in its halls and rooms. Rows upon rows on every subject imaginable to Azarus, from the history and conquests of the Ice Dwarves to the myths and legends surrounding other continents believed to exist on Mother Whitner. Nowhere else on the continent of Azarus is there a larger building or library, unless you count the caverns of the dwarves. With such a large library at their disposal, Reuben and Than take the opportunity to discreetly search for any information on Dragon's Blood they can find. With such a wealth of information at their fingertips, any new knowledge on the subject is a step in the right direction. Only thirty minutes pass before the Mountain Dwarf breaks. This is useless! We'll never find any useful books in here! Than yells. Shh! The whole library echoes as every elf and valley dwarf in the library glares at Than with irritation. Than hits the bookshelf with his head and just lies there against it. His rough black beard flows over the books like a waterfall. Hello, sir. I couldn't help but hear you aren't finding the book you're looking for. A tall and beautiful elf maiden bends over, talking to Than, her dark hair falling over her shoulder. Fadar and Jantis' jaws drop at her beauty, and in jealousy of Than, who, in his dream-filled state, can't respond. The Book of Legends! Beth whispers loudly over to Than. The Book of Legends, huh? You dwarves are always so curious about the history of Azarus. The library smiles over at Beth as she pulls Than over to the shelf containing the book. Dwarves are pathetic, Tatiana complains, folding her arms. 
You're just jealous he's staring at a beautiful elf rather than at you, Beth exclaims with a smile as she uses a pencil to read the titles of the books on a shelf. I am not, Tatiana sticks her tongue out. You know, you love the attention he gives you. Nope, I'm not listening, la, Tatiana replies as she covers her ears. All the elves and dwarves of Cortes sigh in annoyance over their loud guests. Here you are, my little dwarven friend, the elf bends over, smiling at Than, who is still speechless with her beauty. Slowly she walks over to Reuben, who seems to be frantically searching for something. The librarian asks him, Can I help you find anything? Her sweet voice chills Fadar and Jantus to the bone. What? Oh, hi there, Reuben responds, looking straight at the elf's chest and then up. Well, you're tall, he exclaims, noting that she is an entire head and shoulders taller than him. Beth looks over from behind a row of books at the two in jealousy, breaking the pencil in her hand. Look who's jealous now, Tatiana smirks. I don't get jealous, she exclaims, grinding her teeth. Can I help you with anything? The elf again asks, bending over to place her face next to Reuben's. I don't know, can you? Reuben asks, curiously wondering why the elf was there. I am one of the forty librarians working here today. I can help you with any of your literary needs, she explains. Oh, in that case, me and my friends are looking for information on the ten races of Azarus, he explains. Let me guess. Goblins and merfolk specifically? Precisely, Reuben confirms. I sure hope you aren't trying to start a war, the elf asks, her expression of happiness fading quickly as she leads them to the staircase. Prevention is our hope, actually, Jantis answers her, hearts in his eyes. We are hoping to find some information and useful for possible negotiations and effective defense measures, Reuben explains further. It seems neither the humans nor us gnomes have quite extensive enough libraries for the job, Fadar explains, smoking his pipe. I'm surprised your culture have libraries at all, the librarian notes rudely. Excuse me? Tatiana asks before Reuben stops her. You can't say that, Beth interjects instead. And why not? Everyone knows that humans, gnomes, and mountain dwarves are among the lesser races, the elf exclaims further. It is unfortunate that you believe that. It's unbecoming of beauty and knowledge, Reuben chirps in as they continue up, passing the third floor. We didn't start any of the current conflicts, young lady, so why are you really upset with us, Fadar asks calmly. You may not start any of the conflicts, but gnomes stay neutral in almost everything, and humans seem to always be the first ready for a war, she points out. I'm sorry you feel so strongly about us. We only wish you peace, Reuben responds with sorrow. For now, maybe. Anyways, here we are. The fifth floor has ten rooms, one for each of the existing races. Trelings and dragons share a room, though. The librarian finishes before taking her leave. Something us gnomes know a great deal about, Fadar smiles with a blow of his pipe. In order to speed up the search, the group breaks into two separate teams. Fadar, Reuben, and Beth begin their search under goblins, which has its own room dedicated to the extensive and wide subject, while Tatiana, Jantis, and Than start their search under merfolk and the numerous mysteries revolving around them. Each room contains thousands of books on their respective subject matter, making the search just as arduous as when they had started. As the group searches eagerly, Reuben and Than continue to keep their eyes peeled for anything making mention of Dragon's Blood, hoping it can shed some light on who Reuben is, something they are both desperate to find. Thumbing along, he sees an unmistakable emblem, a red teardrop, the symbol of Dragon's Blood. 
Quickly, he grabs the book and puts it with the others they think might be useful. The library contains every book imaginable for each of its species, whether it's a detailed explanation of the physiology of goblins, ogres, trolls, and females, or why they call their land of abolition its name. From their battle strategies to the topography of the country, from the tales of the western isles to the land chariots of the merfolk, hundreds of books line the walls from the first room to the tenth. Yet nothing useful enough to stop or protect them from the war can be found. Hours pass into days as they continue searching for anything useful in their quest against the merfolks and goblins. During this time, Reuben and Than were able to search through all of the ten books under dragons unnoticed. Finally, after almost a week of searching, the group settles on five books. The Book of Legends, The History of Poseidon, The Lost Voyages of Vladimir, A Goblin King, and The Land of Abolition. With their hope and zeal renewed, Fadar, Jantis, Tatiana, and Beth begin to head for the staircase leading down to the floors below. I'm sorry, but Than and I are going to stay for a bit longer, Reuben states reluctantly. Why? Tatiana asks. There's just some things I'm curious about, that's all, Reuben offers dismissively. You don't really seem like the reading type to me, Tatiana explains, suspecting him of a hidden motive. So what if I'm not? Reuben asks defensively. You want to know who you are, don't you? Fadar asks Reuben curiously. Reuben looks around at the group. You don't get much to go on when you're abandoned in an orphanage at two and get taken to a school of knights not long after, he explains. You must know something about your parents or family line, Beth asks. Than looks at Reuben, who pulls out a locket from under his shirt. Just the two words left for me in this, Reuben points out. Dragon's blood. Fadar's eyes widen at the mention. I thought you said your father told you of dragon's blood, Than questions him. He did. Well, I think he did, Reuben tries to remember. So, what is it? Jantis asks. Well, as the dream or memory of my father goes... It's a family trait that's been passed down since the beginning of time. That's it? A family trait? That could be anything, Tatiana points out, growing impatient. No, it's specific, Reuben states. Specific like a birthmark in the shape of a dragon tear or something? Tatiana asks in further annoyance. Whatever it is, it gives him incredible strength akin to that of the strongest dwarf and exceptional healing ability, Than explains. I've seen both firsthand, both when we fought the cave bear at the tunnels of Larsic and after. Or extraordinary power, at least that's what the dream said, Reuben clarifies. Great, so we have a dream and a locket to go off of. Sounds like someone is fantasizing again, Tatiana states in annoyance. It's the only dream I ever have, so it has to be important. Or you're just delusional, she suggests. Have you looked under dragons yet? Beth asks Reuben. Yeah, there was nothing there. I even got my hopes up when I saw one with a red teardrop inscribed on the binding, he explains, growing faint of heart. It might be a stretch, but what about humans? You said it's been a trait in your family since the beginning of time, right? And well, assuming you're human, it might be there, Beth offers. Very intuitive, my daughter, Fadar commends her. But Reuben, know this. The learning of your family and their past will forever change your future and the future of those you hold close. I have to know, Reuben stands up, ready for the truth. Very well. Then you should know you may find some relation to it in the ancestry of the kings of Bursh, Fadar adds. Are you certain? Than asks. Are you saying this soldier might be a descendant of the kings? Tatiana asks in disbelief. Yes, my daughter. I'm going to stay and help him, Beth exclaims. 
as well as I, Dan agrees. Then the rest of us will be off to the palace to continue our research, Fadar accepts as they head back down the stairs. We can't just leave Beth with these two ruffians, Tatiana argues with Fadar as they reach the lobby end of the library. Tatiana, you know full well that she's safer with those two than back home in Garvin, Jantis expresses in defense of Reuben and Than. But, no, child, Jantis is right. Well, I still don't approve of it, she states as the three slip into the light outside the building. Thank you for staying, Elizabeth. It means a lot, Reuben expresses with a sad yet sincere smile. Please call me Beth, she asks, stressing their friendship. Beth, thank you, he offers once more, causing Beth to blush ever so slightly. The Day Before Sane and Artemis stand hunching over two opposite dressers at the end of the first room on the second floor. Have you found anything yet? Artemis asks cautiously. The room is simple for the most part, with no elaborate decorations covering the walls or ceilings. A rabbit fur from the enormous mountain hairs of Dwee lies across the floor front of the bed. A bronze statue of an elven female sits in each corner of the room, each with a different weapon in hand. One holds a large shield, another a long sword, a long bow, and a pilum in the others. The bed is entirely clothed in icy blue silk with a dresser on each side of it. It's here that Artemis and Sane are searching through the drawers. I can't believe I'm even doing this, Sane complains as he pulls a signet ring with the royal crest on it out of the drawer. It'll be fine. My mother thinks she went to help the group search at the library, Artemis reassures him. Besides, I just need you to find the book. Artisan's the one who's going to steal it. Can he even read? Of course he can, she folds her arms. I... I actually don't know. If I get... You won't. I need you for the trip, remember? Yeah, yeah, the trip, Sane pauses. Did you ever get a response from the Kingdom of Burr, she asks, trying to keep his mind off what they are doing? Yes, we have permission to bring three of them. Which ones did you choose? You'll see. Now hurry up before we get caught in the Queen's chambers, Artemis voices, becoming impatient. Both elves rush out of the Queen's chambers, shutting the door quietly behind them. Artemis would likely be excused from punishment if caught. However, Sane would definitely be executed for treason. Because of this, Sane immediately gives the ring to Artemis, wiping his hands on his pants as if to expel his presence from the crime. Quickly, she slides it onto her middle finger with the signet ring facing down. Escaping the second floor of the palace, the two elves head for the study with plans of forging a letter of allowance to let them into the library's secret chamber on the non-existent sixth floor. On that very same afternoon, Sane makes his way to the library, sneaking past the group from Bursch and making his way to the secret part of the library. An older elf, the librarian of keys, as she calls herself, gives Sane only one instruction, to lock the door behind him when he's on his way out. It's on the very last floor of the building, the sixth floor. The room is unnamed, and the only staircase leading to it is hidden behind a bookshelf with the title Mysteries above it. Which book is it, Sane mumbles to himself. Artemis said the keyhole was behind the most boring book in all of Azarus, but what was the name of it? Sane peruses the books on the shelf before coming to a book with no name. Opening it up, he realizes the book is entirely blank. Then he bends down to see the keyhole. Only a dwarf could see that low, Sane complains. The door behind the bookshelf is made of steel, dwarven made and reinforced. 
Gently, Sane inserts the Queen's signet ring into the keyhole, unlocking the door and causing it to open an inch. Going around the corner of the bookshelf, Sane forces his hand into the crack and carefully forces the heavy door open. The staircase spirals up to the sixth floor. The room itself is practically empty with only one bookshelf sitting on the far corner of the room. Less than 30 books line the only stable shelf. Cobwebs and dust are the only readers these books have. A single table with a single chair stands in the middle of the room, a solitary candle and lantern case resting upon the table. On the chair, the matches for the candle. Despite being midday, the room is dark thanks to there being only one tiny window in the room. Sane lights one of the matches and brings it over to the candle. As the solitary candle lights up the room, he sneaks over to the bookshelf. The books appear in no discernible order on the middle shelf. Alice, The Truth of Night Elves, Whitner, The First Great War, Space, Sane reads aloud as he searches the shelf. Some of these actually sound interesting, he notes to himself. The Beginning, he finally reads. That is certainly close to the title of the book I'm looking for. The book has a slender red binding with a dragon on the front cover. Each page has many pictures describing the races it talks about. As Sane reads a small portion of it, he notices something different already. It not only has a dragon on the cover, but it mentions dragons, and not just as a species. Some of the dragons are even named. Slowly, he places the book on the room's only windowsill and proceeds to the door. Looking behind him, Sane wonders curiously about why Artemis wants to know the truth of the beginning of Azurus so badly. She's risking a lot to speed up her agenda and steal the book before their journey north, something they had planned to do after. If even one of them is caught, the whole trip can be cancelled and Sane and Artisan would be swiftly dispatched before even knowing the trip is off. It's an enormous risk, and Sane hopes it pays off for her. That night, under the veil of the early stars and a full and vibrant moon, Artisan makes his way to the library to steal the book Sane had left on the windowsill. There's still no guarantee it's even still there. One of the many librarians that keep guard could have easily returned it to its place. It didn't matter much to him, though. He knew he could easily slip away from the royal guard and disappear into another country if things turned rancid. Creeping through the streets nearing the library, Artisan focuses on finding a point of entry. The library is well positioned with no immediate buildings to help with his ascension and only two statues out front. Being covered in water features proves difficult for his hooved feet to climb effectively. Then it hits him. Why go up when you can go down, he mumbles to himself. The moonlight sparkles off the water flowing around the library, making it difficult for this fawn not to be seen. At least it would if someone was around. Artisan's dark blue thobe hides him well under the shadows of nighttime, but the full moon's bright light can still bring his presence forward if he isn't careful. So instead of climbing the library as he had previously planned, he takes the stairs down to the secret chamber where he, Artemis Insane, and the three now deceased members of Artemis's guard met only a month and a half earlier. Locked, Artisan quickly notes to himself. No matter. Quietly, he reaches into his thobe and pulls out a small metal shard and slides it into the keyhole of the door. His eyes close as he concentrates on the doorknob. Click, and the door opens. The room is still filled with the countless jars of bacteria lighting the room. Every home and building in the land of Kelsic have these jars of light brightening their places at night. It just so happens this was where the library stores its extra jars when not in use. Last time Artisan was here. He had to use the stairs behind the bookshelves to leave unnoticed. 
Apparently, they had all left the door unlocked and thought he'd left by that means. Finding the staircase again, he climbs up the stairs, his feet clomping with every step. It isn't easy to go unnoticed when you have goat's feet and are stepping upon a stone floor. Slowing down, he pulls his padded gloves off his hands and brings them over his feet, silencing his step. Fortunately, as he had hoped, the library is completely devoid of life. Only the songs of insects outside can be heard. Starting two stories beneath the main floor, Artisan travels eight flights of stairs before reaching the final and smallest room in the library. Much to his surprise, Sane had forgotten to lock the door on the way down, which made it easy to get in but threatened the integrity of the mission overall. Artisan pulls the signet ring from the lock. If this goes missing, the queen would panic. Artisan places the decoy on the shelf, his fawn eyes barely able to make out anything in this pitch-black room. The moonlight shines directly through the single window, lighting up the dirty red cover of the book. The words, the beginning, shine brightly with their gold lettering. Carefully, he makes his way over to the window and pulls the book into his thobe. Locking the door behind him is a bit of a challenge. Nothing he can't do. He just keeps trying to unlock the door, a force of habit, no doubt. Now all he has to do is get the book to Artemis. Then in two weeks or so, they'd be off to see the Ice Dwarves, possibly the mightiest civilization on Azerus. Thank you for listening to The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn, written by Corey E. Slane. If you like this content, consider buying a physical copy on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can become a supporter. Support the podcast with a small monthly donation to sustain future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and tune in next time for more chapters of The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn.